You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Bax. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. And welcome to another edition of BGN Memories. This is episode number two. I am John Stolness from BleedingGreenNation.com. Again, you can follow me on Twitter at John Stolness. And for this episode, we're going to take a look back. We're going to focus on Andy Reid, who is uh, coaching in his sixth career conference title game on Sunday afternoon in the AFC Championship game when his Chiefs take on the New England Patriots at home. And obviously, Andy Reid coached a lot of conference championship games, the NFC Championship game, a number of times when he was here in Philadelphia with the Eagles. And uh, we're going to take a look back at the last one that he coached with the Eagles back in 2008, 10 years ago, the NFC title game between the Eagles and the Arizona Cardinals. Of course, in his previous five title games, uh, this has been a round of the postseason that Reed has typically struggled in. One in four in his previous five title games as he enters this Sunday's game against the New England Patriots. And, you know, I think you and as well as just about every other member of Bleeding Green Nation is pulling for Andy Reid in this AFC Championship game. First of all, because he's playing the New England Patriots, and none of us want the Patriots to win. But I also don't think any of us want the Rams or the Saints to win either. I think all of us are pulling for Andy Reid to take his Kansas City Chiefs uh, to a Super Bowl victory. And I'm not so sure we would feel this way if the Eagles hadn't won it all last year. I, I think the fact that the Eagles won the Super Bowl means we got ours and now we'd really like to see Andy Reid get his. And if the Eagles couldn't win it here in 2018, now that the calendar's flipped to 2019, I think just about everybody, unless you are an Andy Reid hater, in which case I'm not real sure why you'd be an Andy Reid hater, but there are some of you folks out there, and if you're an Andy Reid hater, you're obviously not rooting for Reid to win it all, but I am. I, I want Big Red to win the Super Bowl, to get his ring one year after the team that he coached for so many years finally got their Super Bowl ring. It would just be kind of a cool way to end, uh, put a, a button on Andy Reid's coaching career. I think he's already a Hall of Fame coach. I mean, getting having as much success as Reid has had in the NFL, all of the different coaches he has spawned, all the different times he's been to the postseason, he's a Hall of Fame coach in my eyes. But this has been a round of the postseason that has been his bugaboo. 
even in seasons in which he has had first-round buys and home field advantage, he has struggled in the conference title game. I mean, we all remember the four NFC Championship games the Eagles went to from 2001 to 2004, but the game we're going to focus on here on this episode of BGN Memories is the last one that he coached in, the 2008 NFC title game, and, and it's largely a game that is forgotten by Eagles fans, I think. When we think about Andy Reid's tenure and we think about all the NFC Championship games, we think about that 2001 to 2004 run, but we largely forget about that 2008 NFC Championship game. We remember in 2001 when the Eagles went into St. Louis against the greatest show on turf, taking on Kurt Warner and the heavily favored Rams in St. Louis and losing 29-24 to in Reed's third year with the team. It was their second straight year in the playoffs, and you could feel the momentum of the Reed administration building. You could sense that they were going to be in more of these games, and you could feel it growing, and that would prove to be the case. The following year, the Eagles dominated the 2002 NFC schedule. They were big favorites to smoke the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the final game ever to be played at Veterans Stadium, and I was there for this game. I remember being, I remember tailgating, I remember being in the Vet Stadium parking lot and thinking to myself, there's no way the Eagles can lose this game. They had dominated the Buccaneers in the playoffs uh, the pre- in, in previous seasons and in the regular season. The Eagles had the Buccaneers number, and at this point, Tampa had never won a cold-weather game, and it was the last Eagles game ever at the Vet. It was, you just, you just had this unbelievable confidence that the Eagles were going to win this game. I know Brandon Lee Gowton on BGN Radio has talked about having confidence and the city talking about how they were so confident the Eagles were going to beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl last year. That's how I felt leading into the 2002 NFC Championship game against the Buccaneers in that last game at the Vet. And that's why I was gun-shy last year, because I felt that confidence and had it destroyed. When Deuce Staley scored that touchdown earlier in the game early in the game to give the Eagles a 7-nothing lead after that uh, after that Brian Mitchell uh, opening kickoff return deep into Tampa territory I just knew I knew the Eagles were going to run away with that game Veterans Stadium was rocking I thought the place was going to fall down right then and there and then the Buccaneers just slowly pulled away and I still believe it was the most disappointing sporting event in city history you could argue Joe Carter was disappointing, but the Eagles, I mean, the Phillies were down three games to two in that series, and really they were on the road. The Blue Jays were probably a better team. It was crushing, but I don't know that it was as disappointing. This game was a game the Eagles were favored to win. They had all the momentum in the world, and they just got hammered by the Buccaneers, 27 to 10. The Eagles were down 20 to 10 with about four minutes left, but Donovan McNabb had them driving. They were about to go in for a touchdown, and then Rondé Barber's pick six turned the stadium silent, and I will never forget how quiet it was walking out of Veterans Stadium that day. Usually after a loss, fans are mad. They're throwing stuff. They're cursing. They're getting in fights. People are going back out to drink some more. Everybody was too despondent for any of that. People just walked out silent completely quiet. I have never heard a stadium full of people as silent as after that game. That's when the Andy Reid era kind of took on a little bit of a negative turn because the following year, the Eagles made it back to the NFC title game for the third year in a row. 
but the offense could do nothing against the Carolina Panthers, losing 14-3, their third straight loss in the NFC Championship game. Now, they missed Brian Westbrook in that game. He was out with an injury, and McNabb was hurt during the game with broken ribs, although he wasn't doing anything even when he was healthy. Uh, the Eagles' wide receivers were just getting dominated by Carolina's defensive backs, and uh, the Panthers would go on to face the Patriots in the Super Bowl as uh, the Eagles' quarterbacks threw four interceptions in that game. But finally, in 2004, the Eagles were the dominant team in the NFC once again. Uh, they had Terrell Owens on the team. Donovan McNabb had a career year. They led wire to wire. I was at this game as well for some redemption and uh, was there to see when the Eagles finally made it to the Super Bowl by beating Michael Vick and the Falcons 27-10. But then four years passed. The Eagles lost to the, in the Super Bowl to the, uh, to the Patriots, and then four years went. And the Eagles missed the playoffs in 2005. They went 6-10 and 10 that year. They made the postseason in 2006 with Jeff Garcia, but lost to the Saints in the divisional round. They went 8-8 eight and eight in 2007, and they were off to a rough start in the 2008 season, sitting at 5-5-1 five, five and one through 11 games. But then they won four of their last five, got two miracles on the last day of the season, and then went out and beat the Cowboys 44-6 in the final game of 2008 to sneak in as the number six seed. And that Dallas Cowboys game obviously is one of the greatest games, regular season games in Philadelphia Eagles history. This was, not, this was not McNabb's finest season here in 2008. He had a completion percentage just under 16.5% with 3,916 yards, 23 touchdowns, 11 interceptions for an 86.4 rating. Granted, quarterback play during this time was not as elite as it is now, and rules did not favor the quarterback as much as they do now, but 86.4 was still, that's like a B-minus quarterback season. And that was fairly typical of Donovan McNabb. I love Donovan McNabb. I still think he's the greatest quarterback in franchise history. But this was not a great season for number five. Westbrook was the offensive star of the team, but he only rushed for 936 yards and nine touchdowns. He missed two games during the season due to injury. He also had 402 receiving yards, so he was over 1,000 yards, about 1,300 yards on the season in total yardage. But again, that's a, that's a down season for Westbrook. This was Deshaun Jackson's rookie year. He had been drafted in the 2008 draft, burst onto the scene with 62 catches, 912 yards, but only two touchdowns that season for Philadelphia. But he did give the Eagles that big play speed receiver that they desperately needed, and he would factor into the 2008 NFC title game. The Eagles that year had 10 players with at least 240 yards receiving, but only one receiver that year had more than 440 yards. Guess who was the second leading receiver on the team that year after Deshaun Jackson? If you guessed Kendra Wilkinson's husband, ex-husband, I don't know what the relationship is anymore. Hank Baskett was second on the team in receiving yards to Jackson, uh, followed by Kevin Curtis, Jason Avant, and Greg Lewis. That is not exactly a sterling group of receivers right there. So this whole playoff run seemed like a gift. Whereas in 01 to 04, you had this young team, this growing team that was slowly becoming an elite team. And you saw a team that had expectations of being a Super Bowl team every year. That was not the case with this 2008 team. So after getting into the playoffs, with those gifts that they received in the final week of the season and blowing out the Cowboys, it really felt like everything else from that point on was gravy. There was really no way this 2008 Eagles team should have been in the playoffs. But here they were as the number six seed, with absolutely no expectations whatsoever, which is, again, very different from the previous other teams that had gone to the NFC title game under Andy Reid. But the Eagles went into Minnesota, 
and took down Adrian Peterson and an otherwise crappy Vikings team uh, to beat Tavares Jackson, who was the quarterback for that Vikings team, 26-14 in Minnesota. Then the real test came the next week when they had to face the number one seed New York Giants in New York, and the Eagles shocked everybody. They really just outclassed New York 23-11 to in that game to reach the NFC Championship game against the upstart number four seed Arizona Cardinals. Now, a little bit about Arizona here in 2008. Obviously, they were a surprise team as well, but they had a pretty talented passing game. They went 9-7 and seven that year, but won the NFC West as the number four seed. Uh, Kurt Warner had a season in which he was reborn. He was 37 years old in 2008, but had a 67.1% completion rate. Threw for 4,583 yards, which was an astronomical number back in 2008, and had 30 touchdowns and 14 interceptions. Check out this receiving core that he was throwing to. Larry Fitzgerald had a monster season. He was at the very height of his powers here in 08 with 96 catches, 1,431 yards, 12 touchdowns. The Cardinals, in fact, had three receivers who all had over 1,000 yards receiving. Anquan Bolden had 89 catches for just over 1,000 yards, 1,038, and 11 touchdowns on the season. And Steve Breston, remember Steve Breston, the number three receiver? He had 77 catches for 1,006 yards and three touchdowns. Now, they didn't get a lot of help from the running game. Tim Hightower and Edron James provided a little bit of running, but this was mostly a pass-first team, and their defense also wasn't great. They gave up 426 points on the season. That was only one less than they scored, and they were 28th out of 32 teams in terms of defensive scoring. So, again, the Cardinals, this was a passing team. There's a reason they went 9-7. and seven. They lived by the pass. But Arizona hosted the Atlanta Falcons in the wildcard round and won 30-24. Then they went into Carolina, the number two seed, and like the Eagles, upset the heavily favored Panthers 33-13, becoming the first number four seed to ever host an NFC championship game. And it set up a rematch between Donovan McNabb and Kurt Warner. They met in the 2001 NFC title game, Reed's first NFC title game than when they played in St. Louis. So this was McNabb versus Warner in a rematch seven years later. I will note a couple other things before we get into the game. While this game was obviously huge for Eagles fans, we were still living off the high of the Phillies World Series win here in 2008. We were just a few months, about three months after the parade. And you have to remember how much pressure there was on just any of the Philadelphia sports teams winning a title. It had been a quarter of a century since any of the four major sports teams had won a title. And the Phillies had finally broken through, and it seemed like a pressure valve had just been released on all of the franchises. And so the Eagles were basically, they were playing in in the wake of this euphoria that all Philadelphia sports fans were experiencing. We had won a title. The curse was over. We had done it. And so the pressure, the intense heat and focus of the Eagles winning a Super Bowl wasn't as strong as it ordinarily would have been because for a lot of Philadelphia fans, they were still feeling really good about the Phillies and riding that high. And so it did feel like things were going to be okay if the Eagles did not pull this off. Sure, Eagles fans were still desperate for a Super Bowl. That would always be the case. But... It did feel like maybe things weren't, it wasn't as severe 
if the Eagles didn't figure out a way to win this game and get to their first Super Bowl uh, since 2004. And perhaps most interesting, the Eagles were actually favored to win this game on the road in Arizona in the NFC title game as the number six seed. They were favored by three and a half points in most sports books, which I guess it makes a little bit of sense because at nine, six, and one, they had a slightly better record than the nine and seven Cardinals. And earlier in the season on Thanksgiving night, the Eagles blew out the Cardinals at Lincoln Financial Field 48 to 20. So confidence was high on the Eagles' side. And you could argue, though, that on the other hand, that the Cardinals basically pulled off in 2008 what the Eagles did last year as home underdogs in the NFC Championship game, not getting the respect that the home team would deserve. And frankly, you know, the Eagles did have that impressive win against the Giants, and they beat the Vikings, and, uh, you know, they, they managed to get to the NFC title game. But playing your third road game in the playoffs in three weeks, I'm not so sure the Eagles should have been favored in this game. Really, Arizona probably should have been the favorite, but they were looking at Andy Reid's history. They were looking at, the, at, at Donovan McNabb and seeing an Eagles team that was on a roll, and I guess that's why they were three-and-a-half-point favorites. And obviously the Cardinals had some holes, and Eagles had a better record. They blew out the Cardinals earlier in the season just a few weeks earlier. So um, the Eagles and Cardinals kick off the 2008 NFC Championship game with the Eagles as three-and-a-half-point fa- three favorites. But as we get into the game, Arizona jumped on the board quickly as we were all about to get a taste of just how dominant Larry Fitzgerald was going to be in the first half of this game. Second and six. Warner with time. Fitzgerald won't go down. Touchdown. That nine-yard touchdown strike made it a quick 7-0 lead for Arizona, and they weren't done. After a David Akers field goal made it 7-3, the Cardinals and Fitzgerald struck again early in the second quarter. Here's a little throwback to Warner going downfield for Fitzgerald. Covered by Demps, and Fitzgerald makes the play for the touchdown. A penalty flag is down back in the area where Warner let it go. That was a 62-yard bomb from Warner to Fitz to make it 14-3 Arizona. Akers countered with another field goal to make it 14-6. However, they were missing opportunities, the Eagles were, not converting touchdowns, and they were in danger of getting their doors blown off. With 3.06 left in the half, the Cardinals and Larry Fitzgerald struck for a third time. Fitzgerald has got another. Fitzgerald, he's going to start to the slant like he just ran, and then he goes to the corner. Sheldon Brown trying to take away the inside, but a lot of room there for Kurt Warner to lay the ball to the outside. This really was a monster game for Larry Fitzgerald. He had nine catches for 152 yards and three touchdowns in this game. Just a a truly legend-making performance for Larry Fitzgerald here in the 2008 NFC Championship game. That fade pass in the back of the end zone made it 21-6 Cardinals. Neil Rackers would add add a 49-yard field goal as the half expired to give the Cardinals a commanding 24-6 lead heading into the locker room. Now, after halftime, the Eagles got something going, getting into Arizona territory before a McNabb strip sack gave the ball back to Arizona and 
Had the Cardinals scored after that, this game probably would have been over. I can't imagine the Eagles being able to dig themselves out of it at that point. But the Cardinals went three and out and gave Philadelphia the ball back at their own 10-yard line, and that's when the Eagles finally started to turn things around. They went on a 13-play, 90-yard scoring drive that ended in a six-yard touchdown strike to tight end Brent Selleck. McNabb throws and completes to Selleck for the touchdown. And the Eagles' offense does convert. Good throw from McNabb, and Selleck has stepped up and become the primary target for Philadelphia in this game. Remember that name, Selleck. Uh, he's going he's gonna to pop up again here in just a minute. That score made it 24-13. to The Arizona Cardinals still in control. However, Warner and the Cardinals came back out onto the field and suffered another three and out as the Eagles were really blitzing Warner much more in the second half here. They turned up the heat on Warner. He was starting to feel it. I think the, the Cardinals combined for about eight yards total in the third quarter as the Eagles really started to dominate. Um, uh, after getting the ball back at their own 39, it didn't take Philadelphia long to score again on a quick six-play drive thanks to an outstanding catch and run by that man, Selleck, again for 31 yards in a score to suddenly make it 24-19. McNabb over the middle has Selleck again. Stays up into the end zone. Touchdown, Philadelphia. That for Selleck ties... An Eagles postseason record for catches during the postseason. That's his ninth of the game. His second touchdown of the day. For a guy who had only one touchdown during the regular season, it's his third of the postseason. Brent Selleck had a career day. Ten catches for 83 yards in this one with two touchdowns. Uh, he was a guy who had, uh, I think, three touchdowns in the postseason and just one touchdown during the regular season. Just a dominant performance by Brent Selleck here in the second half. Really, he was invisible in the first half, as were every member of the Philadelphia Eagles offense. But in the second half, Selleck really came to life. However, after that touchdown, Akers missed the extra point, leaving the Eagles still down by four entering the fourth quarter. Arizona finally got a first down after that. However, they had to punt again, giving the Eagles the ball on their own 14, down by four. And shockingly, out of nowhere, the Eagles got Deshaun Jackson involved. Play action. McNabb airing it out for Deshaun Jackson. Behind the defense, a juggle and a touchdown. They drafted Deshaun Jackson to hit the home run on the outside, and he just went deep on Dominique rogers Cromarty. That 62-yard touchdown strike was a portent of things to come in the young Eagles' future, but there was still 10.56 left in the game. However, the Eagles were now all of a sudden winning 25-24. to The Eagles then went for a two-point conversion, which, by the way, was their first Two-point attempt all season. How different the game has gotten here over the last 10 years, and they failed to convert. Obviously, they didn't have any practice doing two-point conversions. That's when the Cardinals decided to stop messing around. Starting on their own 28, they ate up more than seven minutes of clock. On a long drive, the Eagles' defense, whatever it was that had been working for them, they could not get it to work again. And this time, Kurt Warner threw his fourth touchdown pass of the day, this time on a screen pass to Tim Hightower. Set up a screen for Hightower. Has blocking. Has the touchdown. 
Kurt Warner went 21 for 28 for 279 yards, four touchdowns and no interceptions for a 145.7 passer rating in this game. Warner was absolutely unbelievable. That score and a two-point conversion made it 32-25 to Arizona, and the Eagles down by seven had 2.53 left to go and all three timeouts remaining to mount one last drive to try and tie the game or potentially win the game if they decided that they wanted to try another two-point conversion at the end of regulation. Although my guess would be that knowing Andy Reid, as I do back at that time, he would have played it conservative and probably kicked the extra point. Looking at that final drive, it looked like the Eagles had something going. On first and 10, uh, they threw, uh, McNabb threw an incomplete pass. Then on second and 10, a nine-yard completion along the sideline made it third down and one. Brent Selleck hauled in his 10th catch of the day for a gain of five and a first down. On first and 10, McNabb then completed a short pass over the middle to Brian Westbrook that got the ball to the Arizona 47-yard line. So the Eagles have first and 10 on the Arizona 47. They've gotten two first downs on this drive, but then McNabb misses to Hank Basket on a short pass. Poor throw by Donovan McNabb. On second and 10, McNabb was too high to Deshaun Jackson on a pass over the middle. Deshaun was open on the play. McNabb missed him, threw him way too high. That's This is an area where McNabb struggled uh, with, his, um, with his accuracy. This was an, an instance where that came back to bite him. Third and 10, McNabb throws behind basket again for a short crosser. That would have made it a, a shorter fourth down try over the middle that got the game to the two-minute warning. Finally, fourth and 10 from the Arizona 47-yard line, with just under two minutes, with two minutes left to go, I think it's just under two minutes left to go at this point. McNabb drops back to pass for one final time. Here come the Cardinals on a blitz. McNabb steps up, throws, dropped by Curtis. No flag, and the Cardinals take over. Arizona brings the pressure, and Donovan does a good job of hanging in there. Looked to me like pass interference could have certainly been called. Kevin Curtis trying to come out of the break. Roderick Hood sitting on the route. But even with that, a ball that Kevin had a chance to come in with. It's a hard call for an official to make with the game on the line to have a drive continued because of a, because of a penalty. But it looked to me like there definitely was contact. But as I said, even with that, Kevin Curtis had a chance to make that catch. And that pass to Kevin Curtis, as you heard Troy Aikman mention there, as you look at the play, Kevin Curtis was interfered with. He was pulled down from behind as he came out of his break. He probably still could have caught the ball, but he's Kevin Curtis. Kevin Curtis, guys like Kevin Curtis, players like Kevin Curtis don't make plays like that. They make Kevin Curtis plays, and Kevin Curtis plays are plays where you fall to the ground as the ball is coming to you on a fourth and ten in the NFC Championship game. And the officials should have called the call, call the flag on the play. I really wonder if in today's game whether the flag would have been thrown. I'll bet you it would have been. Uh, they, they turn the ball over to the Cardinals. The Eagles would get it back at their own 10 with about 10 seconds left. They tried a bunch of razzle-dazzle laterals, but it obviously failed miserably. The Cardinals won the game, moved on to the Super Bowl where they lost in what I feel is the most underrated Super Bowl of all time to the Pittsburgh Steelers. That was the game, of course, Ben Roethlisberger threw that pass um, at the very end of the game uh, to who the heck did he throw that ball to now? It's completely outside. Uh, I've completely lost track. Santonio Holmes uh, <laughs> caught that ball on the tiptoes in the corner. Otherwise, Arizona would have won the Super Bowl. As for Andy Reid, this was his last trip to the NFC Championship game with Philadelphia. Again, this is at the 10th anniversary of that game, which we don't ever really talk about an anniversary for a game as forgettable as this one. 
He would make the playoffs the following two seasons with Philadelphia. This wasn't his last hurrah. I think a lot of people feel like this 2008 NFC Championship game was the last good moment for Andy Reid. But he actually took the team to the playoffs each of the next two seasons. They went 11-5 and in 2009 with McNabb and Deshaun Jackson leading the way. But they lost back-to-back weeks in the final week of the season and then in the wild card round in Dallas to the Cowboys. In the wild card game, they lost 34-14, humiliated in both games. They won the NFC East the following season with a 10-6 record with Michael Vick at quarterback as Reed made the controversial decision to bring him on board. This was right after the dogfighting stuff and him being released from prison. Vick had a good season under Reed, but the Eagles lost to the Packers at home 21-16. Reed would be fired after the 2012 season. But now here he is trying to get back to the Super Bowl for the first time since 2004 with his most talented team ever. This is the most talented team Andy Reid has ever had uh, with this Kansas City, with the Kansas City Chiefs. Not defensively, but I think this is the most talent he's ever had offensively. And he's trying to do something he's only done one other time before, and that was in 2004 at Lincoln Financial Field against the Atlanta Falcons. Play action. Lewis. Touchdown, and they will celebrate. What a good man he is, you know. Just truly one of the great people in this game. <laughs> Both he and Jim Johnson, and kind of exciting to see him finally get his trip to the Super So we are all pulling for you, Big Red. Everyone in Philadelphia is a Chiefs fan here from here on out. We desperately want you to beat the New England Patriots. Even if you were any other team, we'd want you to beat the New England Patriots. But everyone in Philadelphia is rooting for Big Red, I think. I can't imagine somebody who holds that much bitterness in their heart that doesn't want to see Andy Reid finally win a title, especially since the Eagles have already won theirs. Let's get Andy Reid that title. Let's get him that ring. The guy has been in the league forever. He's led a million teams. He's had a million seasons where he's been, where he's gotten his team to the postseason, and things just haven't worked out for him. Sometimes it's been his fault. Other times it's been bad luck. But here on Sunday afternoon, we really have something to root for. We have Andy Reid and the Kansas City Chiefs to root for. Would love to see Big Red finally get back to the Super Bowl and this time win the whole damn thing. Folks, that'll do it for this edition of BGN Memories. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. I hope you all enjoyed this episode, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to do another Andy Reid-themed episode next week, provided he is able to make it to the Super Bowl. Until then, thanks, everybody, for tuning in, and I'll talk to you all next time right here on BGN Memories. Hey, everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. My name is Bill Matz. I am the director of Fun and Games for Broad Street Hockey Radio Podcasts. And I am Kelly, the deputy managing editor of BroadStreetHockey.com. I'm Steph Driver, the NHL editorial manager for SB Nation. And I am Charlie O'Connor, lead Flyers writer for TheAthletic.com. And together we make up BSH Radio, one of the shows that you get at the SB Nation podcast family. We have a lot coming to you this year, and we want you to listen to our show. It is just an all-flyers, all-the-time show, so much content. I really hope you listen to it. It is a great piece of the SB Nation podcast family, along with all your other favorite sports. We all love hockey, specifically the Flyers. Let's go the Flyers. The hockey team of Flyers. Support for this show comes from Wix Studio. Designers and devs, you might be able to do your thing better on Wix Studio, a web platform with everything you need to deliver bespoke sites 
hyper-efficiently. Design teams get a ton of smart features that can take the grind out of web creation without it costing per-pixel control. Dev teams, you get a zero-setup, developer-first environment, combined with an AI code assistant and your preferred IDE for rapid deployment. Search Wix Studio today to explore the full range of features. Support for this podcast came from SAS. Data is everything. And now everything is data, which means more to process, more to analyze. And now more than ever, speed to answers matters. So how do you produce those answers as fast as the world produces data? With SAS VIA, the quickest way from a billion points of data to a point of view. It's a more productive data and AI platform that helps you get more done. Learn more today at sas.com slash VIYA.